right. Amen. You can be seated. Amen, amen. Uh, we, are, we are glad that you're here, and I have to be 100% honest with you. We, with this series, we kind of dodged a bullet a little bit. Back in the late summer, um, we were talking about uh, the images we wanted for the series, about what, what the image would be, what we want to kind of stand out in people's mind. And I said, well, you know, we're going to be in it all through the fall, so I think it should be a fall image. Um, I would love for it to, to be an image of a tree because I'm kind of tree obsessed. And I said, you know what would be great? If we could get a picture of the tree on the corner. And that tree could become a symbol of our hope. A symbol of our joy. And a symbol of our peace. And we just could not get the lighting right. We couldn't find the right picture. So we moved on to other images. And sure enough, I preach week one of this series... And Thursday, Scott Monette calls into the office and says, they are cutting down that tree. I said, no, they're not. That, my kids call that daddy's tree, right? It's daddy's tree because I love that tree so much. And, and I drove over there and sure enough, that thing was laying on the ground. Uh, we admired that tree for 17 years and it is uh, gone, all right? So I was like, I'm really glad we didn't choose that image of this is gonna be a symbol of our hope, church. Every time you drive that tree, I want you to remember... Right? And then, not a good image, all right? Not a good image. So we're glad we went another direction uh, because obviously our joy and hope is Paul's going to teach us again today. Uh, he's going to repeatedly teach us this, that our joy and our hope is in the Lord, all right? And uh, I love the symbol we have of it, all right? I'm glad God steered us away from that, all right? So uh, let's pray together and we'll get into it, all right? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for Jesus, and uh, we thank you that he is our so source of joy, hope, and peace. And I want to thank you for the book of Ephesians, as we kind of plow our way through it all, all this fall, uh, that we would be, just be reminded repeatedly of your gospel of good news. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I don't know what this exactly says about me, but I have noticed a increase in forwards that I'm getting that you know you're old when. Um, and I found one that kind of cracked me up recently. It says, you know you're old when, in a hostage situation, you are likely to be released first. Um, that you and your teeth no longer sleep together. That people call at 9 p.m., this actually happened to me a couple months ago, but people call at 9 p.m. and ask, did I wake you up, right? No, you did not, right? You begin every sentence with nowadays. Uh, the clothes you put away until they come back in style have come back in style. Things you buy don't wear out, and there's nothing left to learn the hard way, right? And I think one of the biggest differences between being young and getting kind of older is the way you perceive holidays and the way you perceive your birthday. And, and I'm honestly not sure the point where I got to on this, but I don't need anything for my birthday. Uh, you know, my birthday's in January, so it's a while away. But for some reason, Cheryl and I were talking about it the other day, and you said, I've gotten to a point where all I want is a good piece of red meat steak, right? <laughs> well, perfectly cooked, horseradish on the side. That's, that's what I want now, right? I, I just, I don't care that deeply about what I get for my birthday. But you remember the days that you did. Right, where you're dropping hints to your parents, you're circling things in catalogs, you're leaving them notes because the first Atari came out, or you wanted a new bike, or as the song says, you just want two front teeth, right? You just knew what you wanted. 
And honestly, the requests, the requests change over time. They, they really do. But there are things that all of us in this room, adult and kid, there are things that we want from God. There are things that we long for. And it's probably no longer at our ages, it's probably no longer a Barbie doll, but for you, like the thing you long for and the thing you pray for is a new job or a significant other or or a new location. And we, we have these longings and these things that we desire. And that has no age, right? There is no age to that. As a matter of fact, the older you get, some of those longings and some of those desires become even more serious. We're gonna be in Ephesians 1 today. But here's what I want you to consider as we start. How we pray and what we pray for reveals what we think blessing looks like in life. So what we're repeatedly praying for, what we ask God to do, reveals what we think blessing looks like, what kind of blessing we would like God to bring into our lives. So some of us, we may pray a lot about our health. It reveals something, or financial security, or about our kids, and it reveals, this is what blessing looks like. This is the blessing I want. This is the blessing I'm looking for, longing for, and craving. This is what I want God to do in the future. Now, don't mishear me, please. It's not a criticism at all. We should be praying for those things. There are so many things that we can and should be praying for. As a matter of fact, one of the things you see in the New Testament is that people repeatedly come to Jesus and they ask him, to, they, they ask him for help uh, for healing or counseling or a family situation. They seek his will and his way and his insights. I'm reminded of a, a story Jesus told one time um, in uh, Luke 18. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought, right? Not a good combination. He doesn't fear God and he doesn't care what other people think, right? And there's a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God, who's more righteous than this guy, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Right? There is incredible value in being persistent in what we pray about. I heard a pastor, a pastor recently ask a question that actually kind of wrecked me. He said, today, I don't want to ask you what you're praying for. Today, I want to ask you what you've stopped praying for what you've given up on God about, what, what you're no longer asking for, what you've just kind of thrown up your hands and said, he's not gonna do anything about this anyway. We are challenged in Jesus's parable to be like the persistent widow, to keep knocking, to keep bothering, to keep pleading, to keep coming, to be the persistent widow and to not give up on our prayers. We are encouraged by Jesus to be that way. That being said, I do want to challenge us a little bit on our prayer life that it doesn't become lopsided on what blessing looks like and what we are pleading with God for, what we are begging him for, what we are seeking him for. We don't want it to become too lopsided. Last week, we talked about in chapter one, these spiritual blessings in Christ. And we talked about these huge Bible ideas, uh, the blessing of adoption, 
the blessing of power, the blessing of grace, and the blessing of forgiveness. And these blessings should affect our attitudes and our worship and our interactions with other people. But guess what they also do, Paul's gonna show us. They also affect our prayers. They, they affect the way that we pray. That our prayer life, as Paul is going to teach us, is affected by those spiritual blessings in Christ in, earlier in Ephesians 1. So I wanna show you this prayer that Paul prayed uh, for, for the uh, church in Ephesus, and it's gonna show us how affected Paul was by the spiritual truths in the first half of the chapter. But before we get to it, I just wanna kinda paint a picture for you because we weren't able to get to this last week. Paul had this unique love for the Christians in Ephesus. He loved them so much. As a matter of fact, we see a symbol of this love, an example of this love, I should say, in Acts 20, when he's getting ready to leave them. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life uh, worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord God has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then we'll skip down to verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept and embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. So in this text, you can see how much he loved them and how much they loved him. That there was this unique relationship between him and the Christians in Ephesus. But I want you to understand um, what blessing looks like, that this, only ha- this story only happens when you understand what blessing looks like in Christ. When, when you understand the blessings that come from Christ that no one can take away from you. Notice what he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And here's what I know about going to Jerusalem. I know that hardship and difficulty awake. And I know, Christians in Ephesus, you will never see my face again. You will hardly ever see anyone say this. I am being called to God because I'm being called to a place where I know hardship and difficulty and prison awake. Almost always, in my pastoral kind of experience, you're saying, I'm being called by God. You're not gonna believe how much more pay I'm getting. Right? You're not going to believe the opportunity that I have. You're not going to believe the way that God is blessing me financially. You're not going to believe how much more authority I'm going to have. That's almost always, 95% of the time, that is the story. But for Paul, he says, hey, I am called to Jerusalem. And hardship and difficulty and poverty and persecution await me. And Paul went. Why? Because he wasn't just writing what he wrote in Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 15. He believed it that there is a spiritual blessing that comes from Christ that no one can take away from us. And so it freed him up to do what he really honestly believed God was asking him to do and calling him to do. It drove his entire life. But Paul does not go to Jerusalem. Paul does not go to Jerusalem if he does not believe the first half of this chapter. There's no way anybody in their right mind would do it. Unless you believe there is this spiritual blessing of adoption and forgiveness and grace, there is this spiritual blessing in Christ. So now I can follow the will of God to wherever he has called me. And Paul believed it with every ounce of his being. So now let me read to you Ephesians 4 with all of that groundwork being laid. 
I want to show you this prayer that shows you how much he loved the Christians in Ephesus, but also shows you how his prayer life was directly being impacted by the first half of Ephesians 1. Here's what he says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in God's holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Paul, fresh out of verses 1 through 15, Paul says, let me tell you what I'm praying about in light of the spiritual blessings of Christ. I don't know what you pray about. I know we, we tend to pray about health and opportunity and all that stuff, and it's good and it's fine. But Paul is going to remind, don't forget to pray about the spiritual blessings found in Christ because they are the most important thing. So prayer number one is thanking God for the faith of people I know. Thanking God for the faith of the people I know. I think this is a growing concern, right? That we as a people are becoming increasingly isolated from one another. Our interactions are becoming increasingly digitized. And we are also becoming increasingly self-consumed with ourselves. And so we might have a little bit of a hard time thinking about someone whose faith we admire. And someone whose faith we are captivated by. And someone whose faith we are grateful for. We might have a hard time coming up with something like that. For others of us, it's just not something we spent a lot of time considering. But it's worth thinking about this morning. Whose faith am I grateful for? Whose faith do I admire? So God, thank you for this person whose faith allowed them to face adversity powerfully. God, thank you for this person's faith in, in the face of their difficulty that came out with joy, hope, and peace. God, thank you for the, the faith of this person in times of plenty that they did not trust in the blessing over the blessing giver. God, thank you for the faith of this person that has inspired me and motivated me to be more like you. I think that in our current season, gratitude is a really good thing to express out loud in prayer. I was doing it uh, just a couple weeks ago, kind of high anxiety time for me. I'm still not totally sure what it was all about, but I was laying in bed one morning worrying about so many different things. Um, I'm an Olympic caliber warrior, right? And I was worrying about so many things, and I just laid in bed, and there are times where this is happening to me that I can feel my whole body is tight. And all of a sudden, I'll just notice it. It's like, oh, oh, you know, my face is tight, my body's tight, and it's just all of these worries. And I, I was in bed in a moment like that, and I just started practicing the spiritual discipline of gratitude. Not out loud, because Cheryl was sleeping next to me. But God, thank you for the faith of this person. They've inspired me. God, thank you for the faith of this person. 
God, thank you for the faith of, of, of this person that I love and I know and I admire. And it made such a massive difference in, in that moment for me, in my heart and in my mind. And all of a sudden, just the expressing gratitude to God, all of a sudden my, anxi- my body started to relax and my anxiety started to, to calm. And the whole idea of this series is how we practice in light of the truths found in Jesus. And I don't think you can understand anything else Paul is going to say in Ephesians until we understand verses 1 through 15 that we talked about last week. But in light of this, this is a great way to practice the truths found in 1 through 15 is who do I admire that's doing verses 1 through 15 well? that trusts in Jesus for their adoption, that trusts in him for for their life, that trusts in him for their salvation. Who do I admire? And then speak it out loud to God with a sense of gratitude. Prayer number two, praying that people would know Jesus better. Praying that people would know Jesus better. That we live in a day and age where people, I don't have to say this to you, you know this, we are so angry about almost everything. I saw somebody lose it in Panera Bread earlier this week. Right? If, Panera, if you can lose it in Panera Bread, it's bread, it's happy, right? <laughs> and I get the feeling, but I get the feeling of angst and frustration and animosity. I, I, I get it, but the solution that our world has offered us the last five years is that politics will heal our world. Everything is so political right now. The truth that I believe, and maybe you can join me in this belief, is that not everything has a political solution, but everything does have a spiritual solution. That every single thing is spiritual, and there is not an institution in our nation right now that would not be aided by knowing Jesus better. So I want to challenge you to pray this with me as we charge into the fall. God, very simple prayer. God, I want to pray to you that people would know you better. I want to pray that our government, God, would know you better and that knowing you better would help them make better decisions. I want to pray that our teachers and our schools would know you better and by knowing you better, they would not lose heart and become discouraged. I want to pray for the families in Macon County that they would know you better and find themselves in a place of stability and health. I want to pray for our church and for our leaders that they would know you better and we could see a spiritual revival happen right here in Decatur. And I think that when you begin to see people through the spiritual eyes that Paul saw them, you begin to see them differently. Because when you see them through a political lens, they're an enemy you need to defeat. When you see them through spiritual eyes, you will begin to see them as a person that needs to know God better. And compassion and love and grace always follows a prayer like this. We will begin to see them in a different way. A psychology trick, not... This is not meant to be a psychology sermon. It just happens to be two examples. But a psychology trick uh, that some of you have learned along with me is that you cannot hold on to two things at the same time. So when you are in a high anxiety state, sometimes a counselor will counsel you to begin to look around the room and break things into categories. Like how many red things are in the room or how many square things are in the room? How many blue things are in the room? Because here's what that counselor knows. You can't hold on to the anxiety at the same time that you're holding on to the mental discipline of coupling things. And I think the same thing is true spiritually. As you pray for people to know Jesus better, you begin to see them in a different way. You won't see the school board member in the same way if you pray for them to know God better. You won't see the national politician the same way if you just pray for them to know God better. 
your neighbor, your family member, you will begin to see them through spiritual eyes and spiritual eyes are a better way to see them than political eyes. Politics make enemies. Spirituality make people that we pray for. And prayer is a much stronger discipline than politics. Prayer number three, praying that people would find hope. I like how Paul writes it. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The truth of the matter is, you know this is true. We are a culture that has lost hope. And I think that some of it is that we have placed our hope into lesser things. Some of us have put our hope into economic prosperity. Some have put our hope into political victory. Some have put our hope into just continued greatness that with Jesus, everything will be up and to the right. And over time, what has happened is some of those hopes have let us down. Paul says, we need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that we can know our true hope. And what Paul is referring to here is certainly a hope into the future, that there is a future hope that is coming, that John actually talks about this more than Paul does. Let me show you what, Paul, uh, what John writes in Revelation. I saw a new heaven and a f- new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. In the Bible, a lot of times, sea represents turbulence and difficulty. He says, there's no longer any sea. The sea that is there is as clear as crystal. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated at the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write down, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to them, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. There is a future hope that is coming. That someday... Right, we talked about this last week, that we wonder about why does God allow suffering? You and God are actually on the same page about this, that someday there will be a time where Jesus returns and when that day comes, he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Those are no longer realities like they are right now. And we have this future hope about the return of Christ. Now, what has happened for a lot of the 20th century the, the 20th century, was that we got hung up on that future reality, maybe a little too uh, hung up on it, to the point where this evacuation theology, I would call it, began to take place. This escapist mindset that the, the, the role of the church became, we survive here, right? This place is for survival, and then someday we go there to a place of perfection, and it became this evacuation theology of the whole point of this is to survive, and then someday we will find life, but that's actually not what the Bible teaches about eternity. 
The Bible teaches that there is a future hope to be sure. Someday there's going to be a little nod between God and the Son, and Jesus is going to return, not as a little baby, right? Not as a little baby, as a warrior with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth, and he's going to destroy Satan and sin and death, and those things will no longer be anymore. But until that day comes, until that future hope comes, we do have a present hope. There's not just a future hope for the Christian. There is a present hope that God and his great mercy is at work today through the gospel and through the church and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't just say to people, oh, someday it's going to be great. We say, give your life to Christ and the spirit will begin this renewing work. Join a church and you will join a people who are pursuing this renewing work. That God is at work, not just someday, God is at work today, and he is using us, church. If you ever wonder, why does God have us here on the planet? God is using us to show this world what this renewing work looks like. We are an exhibition to the world. Oh, the future hope, it's going to look something like their present reality. Not perfectly, because Lord knows we're not perfect, right? I'm not, and you're not, we're not. But we are meant to be an exhibition to the world, an imperfect exhibition to the world. That, oh, I can understand the future hope a little bit better because I saw Northwest Christian Church and the way they loved and the way they were generous, the way they were salt and light. We are called to be a part of this renewing work that God will complete someday. And so we pray for the people around us. Man, please join me in this prayer. We pray for the people around us that they would not lose hope. Paul says, we do not lose hope, though inward, we do not lose hope, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly, talking about the work of the Spirit, we are being renewed day by day. So Paul says, there is this present work, this present hope, while we wait for the future hope to be revealed. So our prayer is, man, don't lose hope. That they would see their present hope, but they would also, they would see the future hope, but they would also see their present hope. That God is at work in their life. He's not just up in heaven twiddling his thumbs. He is at work today, renewing us and helping us and giving us a, giving our pain a purpose, giving our life a purpose. So we are here today because we are a hope people. We specialize in hope. We are hope people. We are grace people. We are love people. We are a joy people. Prayer number four. We pray that people would experience God's power through belief. Paul writes, his incomparably great power. Don't you love that phrase? His incomparably great power for us who believe. And he knew people were going to be like, well, could you compare it to something? And he's like, well, okay. I just said it was incomparably great, but I will compare it to something. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Oh, Paul, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So Paul says, you as a believer, you have this incomparably great power. And it's almost as if he is reading their minds. Well, could you compare it to something? We don't even know what that means. It's too ambiguous. Would you, Paul, please compare it to something? He said, all right, fine. I'm going to undo what I said. I'll compare it to one thing. It's the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. There is great power that comes when you believe. Think about when you first fell in love 
and you believed that person was the person for you and you decided to propose, that belief led to great courage. Think about when you first decided to have kids and and that love turned into a belief that you should have kids and that belief turned into great grace and financial ruin. You think about... You think about when you decided, <laughs> you only get it if you've had kids, right? Yeah, it's, you think about when you decided to switch jobs and there came a point where you decided to fill out the application and all of a sudden you had this increased confidence in your abilities, that belief resulted in a form of power. Consider the gospel. I want you to consider it just for a moment that we believe as Christians that Jesus is the son of God, that he was God in human form, and he lived a perfect life, and he defeated death and and resurrected three days later. We believe he has given us his Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we believe that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at us who believe. And here's what I know. I know that power that is available to you and I is incomparably great. I know that power is for us, but I also know that power is for us who believe. 100% being honest, there are times when I don't feel very powerful. There are times I don't feel powerful, that I feel weak, I feel powerless, I, I feel like I'm, I'm drowning. And I think most of the time that I feel that way, when I look back, it's because I have believed something that's not true. I have believed a lie. Like, I can't. Like, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in me and I'm going to look at a difficult circumstance and say, I can't. But sometimes I believe that, I can't. Or God would never use me, or God doesn't love me, or we end up following an idol like politics or money or leisure. And politics can do a lot of things, but it will not give you incomparably great power. Money can do a lot of things. It will not give you incomparably great power. Leisure is great and we need rest, but it will not give you incomparably great power. Power. So today I want us to reaffirm our belief in Jesus. Because it is in Jesus that the Holy Spirit works to bring us that incomparably great power. And if you are here today and you are believing a lie, stop believing the lie and start believing in Jesus. If you are here today and you are following an idol, Throw that idol away and give your life to Christ because incomparably great, the incomparable great power that he wants us to have is found in Jesus. I've shared this with you before, but I'm reminded of a great list that Priscilla Shire, a, a teacher, uh, produced where she was talking about how you can see Jesus uh, all throughout the Bible. And I just want to reaffirm our belief in Jesus by sharing you, with you this list. She says, in Genesis, Jesus is the breath of life. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is our fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is Israel's God. In Joshua, he is salvation's choice. In Judges, he is Israel's guard. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. 
In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, he is sovereign over all creation. In Ezra, he is the true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of walls and rebuilder of lives. In Esther, he is our courage. In Job, he is our timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is a time and a season. In the Song of Songs, he is a lover's dream. In Isaiah, he is our prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is our weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he is a cry for Israel. In Ezekiel, he calls us from sin. In Daniel, he is the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he, in Joel, he is the spirit's power. In Amos, he is the strong arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he is our Lord and Savior. In Jonah, he is the great missionary. In Micah, he is the promise of peace. In Nahum, he is our strength and shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he brings revival. In Haggai, he restores that, that which was lost. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. And that is just who he is in the Old Testament. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is our God and Messiah. In Acts, he is the Son of God, rising with fire from heaven in his hands. In Romans, he is the grace of God. In First and Second Corinthians, he is the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, what we're in right now, he is our glorious redeemer. In Philippians, he is the servant's heart. In Colossians, he is the God of the Trinity. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our caring king. In First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he is our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he is our everlasting courage. In James, he is the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our faithful servant. In First and Second and Third John and Jude, he is our lover coming for his bride. And in Revelations, he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the Son of man, the Alpha, the Omega, the Lamb of God, the great I am, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is everything that you need. And our belief in him increases our sense of power. And so we want to be a church that nurtures belief. We want to nurture faith. This is why if you've ever wondered, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're like, man, these disciples, they're kind of an embarrassment. They're without faith. Their faith is failing. They're making silly, sometimes even dumb decisions. And then in the book of Acts, it's like, what must we do to be saved? And people are like, repent and be baptized, everyone. Right, you know, just this power and this authority. What on earth happened to them? A couple things happened. The resurrection happened. The Holy Spirit happened. And they came to a place of belief. And whenever you come to a place of belief, you will find that belief is accompanied by great power. We want to pray for people that they would believe and they would experience God's power in a way they've never experienced it before. I pray for you that you would believe and that through that belief, you would experience Christ's power in you. And maybe that power looks like healing. Maybe that power looks like sustaining. Maybe it looks like a purpose in prison. Maybe it looks like flourishing in freedom. Maybe it looks like health. Maybe it looks like sickness. 
Maybe it looks like your job. Maybe it looks like your family. Whatever it is, my prayer for you and I is that we would believe and we would experience his incomparable great power for us who believe and that we would stop believing these lies. I can't. He doesn't love me. I can't climb this mountain. I can't accomplish this goal. I can't live this life. That we would dismiss those lies and we would say, no, no, no. I have, through my belief, I have this incomparably This incomparable great power, it comes through belief. And so we want to nurture belief. Please, please, please do not nurture social media. Please, please, please do not nurse culture, nurture culture. Please, please, do not nurture Netflix. We want to nurture belief in Jesus. And whenever you have belief, you have power. So we want to believe the right things, we want to believe in the right person, and we want to experience that power. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for this comparable great power that Paul, I think knowing people would want a comparison, Paul gives in, and I appreciate it. So Paul says, it's like the mighty power that rose Jesus from the dead. I don't know if we get the gravity of that statement. That as we're living the life that you called us to live, we're raising children, we're working jobs, we're serving in our church. There are these moments that overwhelm us and in those moments we are tempted to believe lies. I wonder, I wonder how many lies Paul was tempted to believe in as he was in prison. We're tempted to believe lies. But today we want to renew our belief in you. And we want to know that we are empowered in a way that may be coming in here today. We never even imagined that there is this power available to us that allows us to serve, allows us to love, allows us to to live the life you've called us to live. And I want to pray that anybody in here that is losing hope, or losing faith, or believing a lie, that right now they would remember that they are not alone. That your spirit is with them, and when a lie maybe comes into our, I can't. I'm not able. God doesn't love me. When a lie comes in, that they would remember what Paul wrote from prison. They'd say, no, 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 no. I need to renew my belief. Because I have, through the Spirit, a power that's really not like anything else. So the lie says I can't, but I know in Christ I can. The lie says does he even love me, but I know because of the Spirit that he does. Help us to renew our belief in you and to experience that power this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion together here in just a minute. Servers are going to pass it out. And I want this to be a renewing time. That we would just renew our belief in Jesus and who he is from Genesis to Revelation. And that by renewing our belief, 
we would begin to experience the truth of who Jesus is and the power that he gives us, and we would leave this place full of hope and joy and peace and ready to tackle the next obstacle. So they'll pass out communion, and we can remember his death, burial, resurrection that makes this power possible, reminds us of his love for us, reminds us of that power that is available, and reminds us of where life is. And then I'll come back up in just a minute, and we'll receive it all together as a church family uh, that are kind of in this all together, helping one another and praying for one another. So I'll come back up in just a minute. Do you believe his incomparably great power for us who believe his body given for you, his blood poured out? God, may we leave this place full of hope, love, joy, and peace, and grace. May we leave this place renewed in our belief and may great power for whatever we face this week, may great power accompany our belief. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Stand and let's sing one last song. Um, We're going to have a couple elders in our overflow right after church. If you have a prayer request or prayer need, they love meeting with people over there and praying um, and talking to people. If you have any questions about Jesus, they would love to talk to you about that. Uh, God bless you guys. Um, May great power accompany your belief this week. God bless um, and uh, have a great week ahead.